Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Monday, November 4th, after a brief hiatus. Uh, I uh, I had a really bad end to the month of uh, October. I hope you had a much uh, better Halloween than I did, but happy to be back with you at the conclusion of uh, the Canucks California road trip now, uh, now that uh, they are returning home and ready to face the rain defending undisputed Stanley Cup champions for the second time this season. Before we get there, however, uh, let's talk about that road trip. The Canucks going uh, 2-0-1 on their three-game California swing and returning home to uh, you know uh, just the adulation of a, of, of a cheering crowd. People going to the airport to, to just wave them back in and let them know that they're world beaters. No, that did not happen, but that's what you might think is going on here in this city right now to hear the media tell it to hear some of the fans in fact who are heavily drinking the kool-aid on this team at the moment tell it as well and look I'm not going to say that this team is actually bad, that they're fooling you, that that you are all deceived. I'm not going to say that. What I am going to say is just maybe maybe uh, hold back on taking a victory lap as of yet. Maybe hold back on uh, declaring that this team is for real. Because, look, what this team is for real is not bad. But are they great? Are they, uh, as they sit right now, I believe, in the overall league standings at this very moment as we record? They are second second place in the Pacific Division, one point back of the Edmonton Oilers with a game in hand, and I believe tied for fifth in the overall league standings as well. Let me just quickly check on that. They are tied for, yes, fifth with the New York Islanders, Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Of course, the Islanders have a game in hand on the Canucks right now, so technically they're fifth. The Canucks are sixth in the overall league standings, but look... I understand that all of these things add up to the idea that Vancouver is a great team at the moment. That, that And yes, there are a lot of things to celebrate about this squad right now. Don't get me wrong. However, what did I say last week right before the team embarked on this California road trip? That the only way you could call this trip a success was if they came away with at least five of six points. And that's what they did. So yes, it was a successful trip. Congratulations. And yes, they beat up on the Kings again. And they beat up on the San Jose Sharks spectacularly on Saturday night. But what you need to remember when you watch those games is that the Kings and the Sharks are not the Kings and Sharks of old. Even the Anaheim Ducks are not the Anaheim Ducks of old. The Ducks are being propped up by a spectacular goaltender, maybe the best goalie in all of hockey right now in John Gibson, and nothing else. That team is not very good up front. That team is not very good on defense either, given that it currently employs Michael Delzato and Eric Branson. You cannot look at a perfect sweep through uh, the California trio as, as a declaration that this team has arrived. Where they have arrived, where they are at the moment, is is a place where they are no longer the bottom feeders. They are not the Canucks of the last four years. The the, the LA Kings, the San Jose Sharks, those teams are sliding back down to where Vancouver has been for the better part of, I guess, half of a... They've been there for basically half a decade at this point. Regardless... 
It is a good thing. It is a good thing that the Canucks are not there anymore. I'm not saying don't be happy. I'm not saying don't celebrate the fact that Elias Pettersson is the NHL's reigning player of the week. Don't celebrate the fact that you know Elias Pettersson is top 10 in NHL scoring within striking distance of, of being top 5. He's 6th in the league right now with 20 points through 14 games. He's 3 back right now of Brad Marchand, John Carlson, and Connor McDavid who are all tied for 3rd with 23 points at the moment, uh, some of them through uh, more games than Patterson, some of them, uh, in the case of Brad Marchand, through one fewer. But of course, Marchand playing with the hottest player in hockey right now in David Pasternak. And John Carlson started the season as the second coming of Bobby Orr. The fact that Elias Pettersson has caught up to those guys in scoring is very, very impressive. And you should be happy about that. And you should be happy about the fact that, you know, uh, this power play looks very good when Quinn Hughes is, is playing on it, which we'll talk more about uh, his little uh, bump uh, in the Anaheim game very briefly. You should be happy about a lot of things, but don't get carried away. Don't be declaring this team a favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Don't even be declaring this team a playoff team at the moment necessarily, because what you need to remember is that they have had an exceptionally easy schedule thus far. They have only really played a handful of of genuine playoff teams, uh, not just within their conference, but league-wide. And in the wins that they've come up with against those playoff teams, well, we're, we're going to see what they can do against the reigning Stanley Cup champions again tomorrow when they take on the second St. Louis Blues for the second time this year. But the previous win came in the shootout. Now, yes, they showed a lot of spirit in coming back and tying that game and getting it to overtime at all. But a shootout can go either way. We've seen that already. We, we watched it against uh, the Washington Capitals about a week and a half half ago now. If the Canucks had somehow won that game uh, and come out with the shootout W over the Capitals instead of a loss, it doesn't change the fact that that's not a regulation win. It's not even an overtime win. It's hard to put that much stock in what you can read out of that given that you know this team has not come away with a bunch of wins in regulation or elsewhere against teams that are actually legitimately good. Four of their games of 14 so far this year have been against two of the worst teams in the entire league in the Detroit Red Wings and the LA Kings and they have absolutely dummied those teams both times which is what you should do I'm not saying that it's bad I'm not saying that uh, they are a paper tiger I guess I am kind of saying they might be a paper tiger we don't know yet is what I'm trying to say if you want to celebrate this team if you want to celebrate the player performances go right ahead but uh, I would perhaps hold back on making any declarative statements about the overall quality of this club before we get through the month of November because this travel schedule is going to tell us a lot about how they hold up and what they're going to look like throughout the rest of the season and the quality of opponents that they're going to take on over the course of the rest of the month is going to tell us an enormous amount about this squad as well. What I can say, having not provided any instant game reaction to you over the last couple days after these California games, is that one thing that I've been hammering home all season long thus far, the idea that the Canucks are still waiting on a player to take over a game, on their star players to really make their mark on this team, uh, on games through this season so far, we're not waiting on that anymore. No, Elias Pettersson is uh, doing 
spectacular things at the moment. And Brock Besser has had a heck of a week as well. He was spectacular in particular against the Los Angeles Kings last week uh, on Thursday night. That game was a ton of fun to watch. His second goal in the second period to restore the lead in particular. Just a terrific effort. He is rolling again. Uh, The top players on this team look like they are something to see night after night. And these are all very good things. There is, however, uh, one player being trumpeted right now that I'm still not sold on, and we'll get to that in just a second. In the meantime, if you do want to treat yourself, perhaps uh, treating yourself to the idea that this team is a cup contender, not the right way to do it, but you can treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, my listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Now, where were we? Right, of course. Celebrate your Elias Pettersson. Celebrate your Brock Bessers. Celebrate your Quinn Hughes as well when he, hopefully, fingers crossed, returns to the lineup tomorrow night against the Blues. Celebrate your Thatcher Demko's even, who has been uh, a surprise so far this year, just how steady and confident and uh, just superb, really, he has been thus far this season. These are all good stories. One player being celebrated at the moment that I am not entirely sold on, however, is Brandon Sutter, who has been the subject of criticism for a good many years in this city, pretty much right from his arrival. Uh, From the moment that trade was announced, there were people, myself included, who cried out in anguish that this was uh, not a great move for the team to have made, not a good player to have spent uh, valuable assets to acquire, certainly not the foundational player that he was sold as as he arrived. And yes, uh, Jim Benning did him absolutely no favors upon arrival with the you know Patrice Bergeron and Jonathan Taves comparison he is absolutely not that player. Uh, some people have said, you know, this is a this is a good season for him because we've scaled back our expectations, and he he is not being held up as a foundational player. He's just a player who is useful and good. I'm not entirely even sold on that at the moment for the amount of money that he is being paid and the role that he is playing. Look. Sure, at the moment, as we speak, he is currently 7th on the team in scoring with 5 goals and 3 assists through his opening 14 games, but uh, I do believe that he's going to fall back down to earth before this season is through. Look, if he continues at this pace and and goes on to put up you know, 45 points this season, I will gladly eat crow and admit I was wrong all along about Brandon Sutter at the end of this season. I've even said on this show already over the course of the year that I am willing and open to give him another chance and rethink my opinion of him. But to me, this guy is not even passing the eye test at the moment. Yes, he is generating offense, but he is getting these opportunities, these offensive breaks, that if it were another player, if it was an Elias Pettersson cutting in on goal with the speed that uh, Sutter had, a, a fast break, I believe it was in Thursday's game against Los Angeles in particular, where he really caught my attention. My, I, you know, I snapped up and was just uh, in awe of the way he was cutting in on goal. And then as he got towards the crease and went to make a move, 
was revealed exactly who he was. He is still Brandon Sutter. He is still uh, not a gifted playmaker, not really even that much of a gifted goal scorer. I don't want to say he has hands of stone, but he looks like he's moving in slow motion when it's time to make offensive choices in terms of getting pucks on goal. You know, we talked about that that slow motion goal that was just a heartbreaker to watch uh, in the Capitals game a couple weeks back. Uh, the, the shorthanded goal that I believe was scored by Lars Zeller on a feed from uh, Garnett Hathaway. That that goal moved at the same speed that Brandon Sutter's offensive instincts do. If Elias Pettersson had the chances that Brandon Sutter is uh, accumulating right now, Petey would be scoring multiple goals on the same play. And you can say, yes, it's a great thing that Brandon Sutter is even getting those chances in the first place, that he's working his way into those positions. But there is also a reason for that. All of the positive spin on this guy this year, when people talk about how he's finally in a role that suits him, he's finally in a position where he can succeed, whether it's media, whether it's Coach Travis Green himself, what they are saying, essentially, is that this is not a very good player. That's what they're saying. If you read the subtext of what is being said about him. It's that this team has depth, which has pushed Brandon Sutter down into a role where he is no longer being checked like he's a top-six scorer, and he's no longer being used in um, you know hard-matching defensive scenarios either. Does, do you know what description uh, that is? Do you know what position that is describing? That is a fourth-line center. If he's not a shutdown guy... If he is not a top six scorer, that's your fourth line. And and when you look at the deployment, when you look at the ice time, the wingers that he's playing with, Josh Levo and, and uh, Jake Vertanen at the moment, Jake Vertanen in particular, when you look at their ice time, they are being used as a fourth line in terms of deployment. So you cannot put a positive spin on a, a guy who is making $4.25 million a year and say, oh, he's finally succeeding because he's now the fourth-line center. Yes, he's getting the easiest matchups imaginable, and he's putting up decent production. Does that make him a good player? Does that make this a good investment, a good contract? Absolutely not. And... Again, I cannot stress enough how it looks like the game slows down for him, and not in the Gretzky way of, like, the truly great players see the game in slow motion. I am seeing him in slow motion. The way he tries to make deeks, the way he gets his shots on goal, it doesn't pass the eye test what this guy is doing offensively right now. It is not going to hold up, I don't believe, over the course of a regular season, and If I'm wrong, happy to be wrong. Happy to have a guy in the bottom six who is producing uh, upwards of 40 points. He's never really done it before in his career, and I have a hard time believing that the year he's being used as a fourth-line center is going to be uh, the year that uh, Brandon Sutter puts up close to 45 points. So, uh, again, I'm not sold, and the people who are taking victory laps, you know, your, your Andrew Walkers, I like Andrew Walker. I work with him. I consider him a friend. I have a great time hanging out with that guy you gotta stop with the with the Brandon Sutter victory laps my man it's way too early and he is not going to hold up over the course of the entire campaign this is not a sprint it is a marathon we will see where he's at at game 82 
Of course, you're probably wondering how we are more than 15 minutes into today's episode, and I, the you know, one of the leaders of the Berchi Brigade, has yet to mention that Sven Berchi is back on the main roster. He is with the Canucks. He is no longer down on the farm. He has graduated back out of the ranks of the Utica Comets to rejoin the team in the NHL. Of course, the reason that he had to do that is that Michael Furland uh, got himself injured uh, back on, I guess it was actually Wednesday's game against the LA Kings. I keep getting my days mixed up because Halloween feels like it should be on a Friday, doesn't it? When I think about how last week went, Halloween feels like the Friday of last week. So my apologies. It was Wednesday night's action against the LA Kings that Michael Furlan got himself into an early first period scrap to try and spark his team and instead paid for it with a hand injury and what seems to be a concussion as well. And for Michael Furland, a player with a uh, history of concussions, this is uh, not a good sign as his game finally seemed like it was rounding into form. You know, right after I criticized him the most last week, he went out and had his best performance of the season to date and then followed it up with uh, a, you know, pretty much meaningless fight uh, that is going to keep him out of the lineup for possibly a good long while. Now, on the flip side of the injury coin, uh, the Canucks look like they're getting Antoine Roussel back pretty soon, possibly. I mean, uh, Jim Benning gave an update on Roussel uh at the same time that he was updating the condition of Michael Furlan's injury and said that Roussel is not expected back until December, probably late December at the earliest. At the same time, Antoine Roussel was out there in practice this morning. He was skating with the team and you know, maybe not necessarily involved in contract contact drills, rather. He doesn't have to worry about contract drills, the amount he's being paid. <laughs> Regardless, he was out there with the team. I think earlier than a lot of people anticipated, and and good to see him back. Uh, We'll see, of course, it's probably a good another month or so, six weeks yet, until he is ready to go, but that's positive news. That's a good sign to see him at least skating with the team again. Michael Furland, when will he skate with the team again? We have no idea, and it is concerning when a player has a history of concussions to suffer one again, because you never know when one concussion is going to be your last. It's impossible to get a read on things, and that just means that you know this contract looks like an even bigger risk than it already did through his kind of troubling play over the course of this year already, even if I just acknowledge that he was yes rounding into form it it is it's hard to see how he's going to play the way that he needs to play to succeed over the course of this four-year deal and and still be somebody who is anywhere close to the guy he was the guy the Canucks thought they were signing And and that's not just me saying that Michael Furland himself basically intimated something to that effect at the end of last season in Carolina I mentioned this during the show last week and uh you know credit to uh J.D. Burke who is one to bring this up as well uh Michael Furland told the media at the end of last year when he was in Carolina that he was worried at that point about what his life after hockey might look like. That was before he went and signed a four-year deal in Vancouver and suffered yet another concussion. If he was worried then, he's going to be even more worried now. And the narrative that has surrounded Sven Berchi over this offseason and through training camp and after he was sent down to the Utica Comets, the the narrative that propelled uh, people to say that, you know what, it's good. It's, it's, it's a good thing that Sven Berchi isn't on this roster. He's he's tentative. He's unsure. He, he looks like he's playing scared. He doesn't know about the future of his career. There's a lot of things that are distracting him. 
I never got that vibe, and I've said this many times from Sven Verci over the course of the offseason. I thought that looked like a player who was, you know, excited to be back, happy to be playing hockey again, and consistently putting up points with Adam Gaudet, a pairing that I would have liked to see stick together. If that, if that narrative was not true of Sven Verci, however, it absolutely is true of Michael Furland. And when you've got another three years left after this one that's only just begun uh, on a deal like that, it, it's... It, this could turn ugly uh, in terms of this contract. You know, it's it's never going to be as bad. It's never going to be as wasteful as something like the Louis Erickson deal. But a team like this in this position that has all these promising young players that I told you, yes, you should be celebrating earlier on in the program. Absolutely. Do feel good about the future of this team with these young guys, for sure. A team like that that needs to add players to supplement those young players can only have a select amount of bad contracts. Because, look, we accept, sure, that every team in the league has bad contracts, that there is no perfect roster that has been able to avoid you know, one deal that didn't work out the way it was supposed to. But you can only have so many. You can only have so much dead money tied up in just bad deals and bad players. And the Canucks right now have a fair number. They really do. If you can count, as I mentioned, Brandon Sutter, who I'm still not entirely sold on. Obviously, Louis Erickson. This team is trying to push into the grave and force into retirement if they could possibly do that. The only reason that Sven Berchi was recalled in the first place is because they do not trust Louis Erickson as anything more than a fourth-line player, even if that fourth line is being used as a third line, you know, in the same way that, I guess, the 2007 Anaheim Ducks leaned on their uh, third line the way that they did. That's kind of what Travis Green thinks he has at the moment in the Beagle Trio, and he's not entirely wrong. They are doing very, very well. It's just, you know, he's not looking to see any more than that out of Louis Erickson, which is why when he needed a top six guy, when he needed somebody who could play up the lineup, perhaps, uh, in the absence of Michael Furland, they recalled Sven Berchi even if Sven has yet to play. And in fact, I mentioned that chemistry that Sven had uh, with Adam Gaudet a little earlier. It's funny because that's the guy right now who is keeping Sven in the press box. And that's probably a good thing, honestly. As much as I want to see Sven Berchi play, as much as I think he's still better than some of the guys who are drawing into this lineup night after night, as much as I think Sven Berchi has indisputable chemistry with Bo Horvat, the fact that they have found a role for Adam Gaudet on this team and it's as a top six winger and perhaps a genuine, viable top six winger, not a patchwork, makeshift top six winger like Jake Vertanen had been used at this time last week is positive, not just for Gaudet, but for the team itself as well. Because, look, any further production that they can get out of that guy and and a consistent quality line mate that they can put on the wing with Bo Horvat helps the team and helps Bo Horvat in particular, who is looking like early in this year, other than Tanner Pearson, you know, he's been saddled with some bad wingers, and we kind of hoped that that would be the end of that uh, after we watched him have to play you know, game after game with your Tim Schallers and your Tyler Motts and so on, etc. last season. So if, if Gaudet can continue to deliver, if he can be a consistent line mate for Bo Horvat, these are all good things, and 
who knows? Maybe Sven Berchi's day will come before too long here, and uh, you know, Antoine Roussel will still be a little ways away yet. We shall see. Anyway, that's it for today's show. Still plenty more to talk about, of course, from the California trip and uh, to set up tomorrow's action as well against the St. Louis Blues. I will be back bright and early tomorrow morning to do all of that for you uh, before tomorrow's game. So look forward to that. And uh, I actually will get a full five episodes out this week. Life has uh, calmed down a little bit here for me. It was it was a wild ending to October for me. And um yeah, sorry. Sorry if you missed the content. I will say I missed delivering it to you as well, but back this week and excited to be breaking down this team once again as they look towards one of their stiffest tests on home ice to date. They were able to come back and uh, topple the St. Louis Blues in the shootout, as we mentioned, a couple weeks back on the road. Can they do it again? Can they beat them outright, perhaps even in regulation, as the Canucks' home record has been very strong, but they have not seen a team uh, like the St. Louis Blues to date, other than, I guess, the Washington Capitals, and we all know how that one turned out. I'll be back tomorrow to tee it all up for you. Until then... I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you're locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.